Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. My guest this week is Levent Yildizgorn, co-founder of TTC We Translate, a multi-award winning translation and localization company formed in 1992. The aim of TTC is to help entrepreneurs expand their businesses globally by making their messages understood in any language. Levent is a project manager, mentor and visiting lecturer also at the University of Essex, where he helps grow talented translators. The idea of taking your business into foreign territories is exciting, but from personal experience, I know it's also daunting and possibly fraught with all sorts of dangers around business practice and etiquette. With the world apparently opening up for easier travel again in 2022, fingers crossed, I thought it was both personal and interesting to hear from an event about the complexities of establishing trust and building relationships with different cultures, mistakes to avoid, as well as how to know whether you are ready to expand internationally. During the course of the conversation, you'll hear uh, some of my own personal experiences, and you'll also learn the methodology that the event has developed for taking your business overseas. It's a really interesting and worthwhile conversation. I do hope you enjoy. Welcome, Levent, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be with you. Well, it's great to have your expertise on the podcast and having worked with a number of clients over the years, both you know exporting and driving business into mainland Europe, but also into China, the Far East and Eastern Europe and also the US. I know there's many, many pitfalls to be had yeah, yeah, <laughs> when you're yeah. looking to expand into new markets. And during the course of this conversation, hopefully we'll pick up on some of your expertise, your knowledge, right. your experiences, share those with our listeners and um, take it from there. Sounds sounds great. I, I look forward to it. And so I suppose I'd start with a little bit for our listeners about your background, Levent, and you know your experience of helping others export and your own personal experience maybe so perhaps a little bit of background to you right yeah thank you thank you well i have been working in language industry the last 30 years and during that time the companies businesses that we've been working with they they want one thing to grow their businesses internationally in the first couple of years our concept you know, the, the the context of our work was translating from English into multiple languages, providing translations to the 
clients and they were very happy and we it enabled us to grow our business. But after a couple of years, you mature, you learn things. Then we realized that our customers were not really interested in different languages. All they were interested in growing their businesses internationally mm. because, you know, you wouldn't want to rely on a single customer in any market. So why rely on one marketplace when there are, when companies grow internationally, there are so much more opportunities. When we realize that actually our customers rely on our expertise to connect with their customers in international markets, we started reframing our offer. So if they came to us and said, look, we want the whole website translated, we would ask questions. What is the purpose of translating the whole website? And if they were to say, which, which is often the case, we want to test this market, we've got a flagship product, then we will say, well, dear client, you know, yes, okay, we want to we wanna, you know, earn money, but do you really need the whole website translated into German because you want to test the market? And that brought us, elevated our position to a different level. And working with dozens of customers over, over 30 years, we realized that we actually can consult, can um, give directions to our clients in regards to expanding into new markets. And our clients appreciate that. And so, so my experience coming from, you know, I gave you a long, long version, started with doing various translations, user manuals, websites, yeah. agreements, contracts. And then in a in, in couple of years later, we found ourselves actually in a position to advise our customers best, best uh, course of action to connect with their target audience. Brilliant. Thank you. And I mean, some great experiences there. And, and you would have seen lots of case studies and people that have done it well over the years, I'm sure. People that have had hit some of the challenges and, and hurdles and because it's not easy, is it, from, you know, yeah. on a multiple yeah. level perspective. And yeah. we'll yeah. touch during the course of this conversation, I'm sure, on etiquette and culture and all of those kind of things. But, you know, what do you see as some of those advantages of growing globally? Well, there are many advantages of, of growing globally. The, the, the most apparent one is that, for instance, I mean, from our own experience, we, we are a small company with employing 10 people and about 25% of our revenue comes from international customers. Mm -hmm. And during the various recessions we've gone through, I think the last one is 2008 and, um, we didn't, we weren't affected as much as other small businesses because we had um, we had revenues coming from international customers. Because we make a lot of payments internationally, the euro pound to euro exchange rate overnight changed into our disadvantage by by 20, 25 percent. Yeah. Had we not had any uh, revenue coming from the eurozone, I wouldn't know what to do. That matching of revenues and payments is actually one that is, you know, obviously as an accountant, you, you, you <laughs> I understand it, but you, when you see the impact it has to, you know, it's natural hedging of exchange rates, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So then we realized that actually international 
having international presence is very advantageous because if one market is kind of stalling or, or declining, there's mm. always another market that is on the rise, on the up. And when a company has a good service or product, then by some modifications, amendments, they can easily package it for audiences in other countries. Yeah. You know, so so this is the I I think that's the biggest advantage. The yeah. other advantage is that companies, when um, surveyed by UKTI, uh, this is the uh, the trade international trade by the United Kingdom, they found that companies who traded internationally innovated a lot more because they had access to international um, audience, customers, requirements change. So they they feel their innovation and creativity. And the other one is, of course, like the first one is the growth. They do not have to rely on uh, on one market. Mm-hmm. And if it's a product-based company, it gives them a, a, a major advantage of distributing their products, stock, according to the requirement. So if, if they can't sell the product in one country, they can ship it to another country. So, so it gives them a, a great logistical advantage. Do you see a big difference between, we touched on that, you mentioned product and service, you know, those businesses that you've worked with and clearly your service business, but how businesses should approach export if they are product business versus a service business? Great question. The the first image that comes to mind when we talk about export is like big shipments of products yeah. and Containers and, and containers and containers and, and, products, and yeah. the and, and the lorries and yes, of course, the the product export is very important. But the service export, actually, the service industry in the UK, um, I'm sure you'll have a, a more accurate um, statistics on that. The service industry in the UK is three times bigger than the actual product industry. Mm. So the the service exporting is is as big as, if not bigger, globally. Than the the products exporting, the uh, I mean we have you um, I don't know if I mentioned I've published a book called Good Business in Any Language, and during the writing the book I had an advantage of doing a lot more research into the experience of UK British companies, and come across a company called Tangerine, and they're a great example of British design and expertise. They are the first company, well, they are, I think they are the only company that that designed a, 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 what do you call the business class seat that is totally flat. So for overnight uh, uh, flying, they, they had the um, design, original design, and, um, and, and that's a British company. And they have offices in, in few continents. So they actually can cover three or four different time zones. And that's very interesting because nowadays global brands seem to be targeting time zones rather than specific countries. By targeting a a United States like mountain time zone or or the EU time zone, they can actually cover a lot more countries because logistically, I mean, we are very close to EU. The, the, The difference between EU and us is one hour. South Africa is a couple of hours. And uh, and most of Eastern European is, is two hours. 
then you go to Middle East, it goes three plus, depending on the summertime or not. By having a headquarters, for instance, in the UK, a company can easily service that, that time zone. For instance, in having a headquarters in, in Singapore, they can service the, the, the complete time zone in that region. So, um, so that's, that's a big advantage, having bases globally. And I mean, how do people, businesses that you've seen, choose where they locate and, and what markets they go for first? Because if you're a typical entrepreneurial business, you've got 10 to 30 people, you can't, you're not the same as a big global, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, corporate, yeah. you can't just throw darts everywhere. You've got to yeah, pick yeah. market by market. And how have you seen people, or what advice would you give for people to pick perhaps their first export market to break into? That's a very interesting question. I'll give you an example from something that a brand that that we know very well is one of my favorite uh, foods, like Nando's. Nando's mm. is a very famous brand in the UK, established that there's a Nando's shop in almost every town, if not if not yeah. more. But in nine, I think it was 1999. They're originally a South African company. And they introduced uh, this Portuguese sauce and the locals gone crazy about it. They, so in the first year, they opened like four or five uh, outlets in South Africa. And, and they said, well, well, this is going crazy. You know, we have a product. The taste is unbelievable. Why don't we sell it internationally? So they, they looked at it. And so who produce, uh, consumes the most chicken? So the countries. Uh, came to mind, and the UK was was the yeah. first. So the two um, two founders who formed Nando's jumped in a plane, flew to UK, and opened a restaurant. <laughs> and uh, and it didn't work at all. It didn't work because they they didn't do any market research. They didn't do uh, they they did they didn't check what a British typical British consumer would want. Yeah. Would they want to sit down and eat? Would they? Would it be takeaway? Is that sauce working, or would they need a mild one, or extra mild, or extra? You know. So, because they had a product that really worked in their domestic market, they just simply took it over to UK, and it didn't work. They were not um, uh, discouraged by that. They went back, came back, and and the rest is history. Yeah. You know, so so there are so many examples of uh, of companies doing really well because they do do market research. They um, they make sure that the target audience in that market culturally and, uh, uh, and linguistically are receptive to the product and the marketing because marketing comes first. You know, it, it has to advertise. Uh, yeah. various brochures and stuff like that. So it needs to be adjusted for the target audience. Culturally, I mean, um, for instance, if you think of TripAdvisor, TripAdvisor's logo is owl. And yeah. owl is a, a, a symbol of wisdom, isn't it? Well, in the West it is. But in Chinese culture, owl is not a wisdom of wisdom. It's, it, I think it, it symbolizes death and old age, and I think more death than old age. So, you know, using colors and symbols that are suitable 
for the target audience is the is the is the most important barrier that brands have to overcome uh, before they they can have any succession. Yeah. There are so there are so many examples for that. And and that is the challenge, isn't it? When you're a small business and you look to put your foot in you know, a market overseas and. And maybe we should talk about, you know, how do they know that they're ready to expand? But really, the biggest thing is that cultural thing. And, you know, as I say, yeah. having been with clients and and started and looked to start a business in China myself. And, oh, right. You know, wow. and, 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 you know, I've, I've hit some of these hurdles and challenges and, and made some of the kind of mistakes. And it isn't, you know, we all know the world is a big place. And we all know that different countries and cultures are completely different, but it's not. And. But when you go and travel as a tourist, you see yeah. some of that and you start yeah. to understand it. It's when you start to do business, things can be completely different, yeah. can't they? Yeah, 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 yes. And how do businesses in the UK find out about how they should behave and what some of these kind of cultural misunderstandings could be? Right, right. Again, great question. I think it is so critical to do the the initial uh, market research, and and it can be done desk based because the one of the things that if you want to expand to one of the European countries is easy. You know, you can. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, we have, with the pandemic, we have certain restrictions, but normally, you know, going to France, Belgium, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Germany, Holland, you know, it's so easy to arrive. Oh, bring but back some those country- days when travel was easy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And we do miss those days. And But some countries, traveling is really, you know, yeah. takes planning, cost and everything. But what I noticed that by looking at various global brands, I noticed one tendency. That tendency is that the companies who have succeeded well internationally, they almost all of them apply a methodology to their expansion. So it wasn't like a spear of the moment. It wasn't like they saw an opportunity and grabbed it. Of course they did, but mm. behind it, there was a methodology. And, and I thought, well, this seems to be the biggest differentiator. So I said, okay, what's that methodology? What this methodology could be for a small to medium size a company who wants to go um, international. And um, starting with the market research. And can I, on that point, can I mention the methodology that I developed? Or Absolutely, or, yeah. yeah. We want to hear about that, definitely. Okay, the excellent. hints and the tips, so, you want the knowledge. I wasn't, I wasn't sure whether, whether yeah. you know. Yeah, well, what I did, once I realized that it is the methodology that is making the biggest difference for a company to be successful or not, I said, okay, you know, what could be this methodology? Looking at the big brands like Apple, Samsung, you know, Lego, and those brands are brands are so well developed. And and the difference is is very minimal. What I mean by that is if you walk into a Lego shop in Korea and you walk into one in London, other than the language differences, mm-hmm. there's no there's no difference. It's the same customer service, same same approach, and um, everything is localized for the customer. Apple is a great example. You walk into an Apple store in the in in London, 
first question they are, they tell you is you know what's it you want to achieve or what's it that you want to do and and they take you to that suitable product and let you play with it and it's the same thing in any other apple yeah. country so so this they had this consistency in their in their brand and what i said earlier about localization that they look localized the the, the marketing uh, uh, slogans, the, the marketing approach, and they localize package packaging. So everything is localized. Obviously, keeping consistent with the with the with, the, with their corporate corporate logos and everything. So looking at this and studying with that and and seeing the mistakes that other companies are doing, then I said, okay, what is missing is a methodology. I have I had a, a customer, very successful industrial solution uh, manufacturer, very successful in the UK. And they had a very bad, bad experience in Poland. And when when I was listening to my client, then it was apparent that they, they did no due diligence. Somebody said to them, look, that will sell really well here. And because they are so confident and because it's such a good product in the UK, they said, yeah, why couldn't it sell in, in another country? Because they also had that signal from that uh, distributor so they just went in and the minimum amount of packaging requires is like something like 5000 units and so it was it was a disaster and as a result they say we'll never do this again which is which is a great shame because they have a great product which, which is a lot of people's first experience isn't it? Yeah. and it puts yeah. them off for life or, yeah. Yeah. yes and we say which is a great shame because they they miss an opportunity almost of a lifetime because same, if, as long as the same um, management is in place, they say, no, we'll never do this again. And it's a great, great, missing, great opportunity. So the methodology that I developed, I call it lingo. And, and it is basically, Alice, L stands for learn the market. Learning the market, finding out if the product is suitable for that for that uh, marketplace what is the demand what is the you know what is the competitors are doing so it's so easy to do that step or you know just from your desk hmm. because there's so many tools available and also i developed a, a form that companies can use and um, but again there's google trends google google keywords and so so it's easily done the next step is which is information gathering. Once you shortlist, say, two or three companies, or it may be possible that maybe they may, business may say, okay, this is the country we want to uh, expand into yeah. because it's so, so obvious that there's a demand. And the next step is information gathering, going a bit deeper on that market and, and finding bit more about the marketplace. What I mean by that is language and customs, holidays. You know, we we have holidays in the UK. Well, it none almost except New Year, New Year's Day, most countries have different holidays. <laughs> you know, even even Christmas. Even Christmas holidays could be quite drastically yeah. different. In um, Easter, Easter holidays quite quite could be quite drastically different in other countries. 
And uh, so assuming that when we are on holiday, other countries are on holiday as well, could be a, a big mistake. Okay. And actually missing a big opportunity as well, because um, like in China, the, the, the biggest uh, e-commerce boom takes place on 11th of November, which is, they call it Singles Day. <laughs> Okay, Singles Day, very interesting. Yeah, they call it Singles Day. It's amazing. I mean, it is a kind of almost like an anti-Valentine's Day kind of thing, you know. So yeah. singles celebrate being single. But it's it the e-commerce goes crazy. So why do they buy on Singles Day if they're celebrating well, being single? Please see there's some logic in it. <laughs> well, well, I mean, of course, the e-commerce is so much developed in China. And yeah. The, gateways, payment gateways. I mean, we use credit cards and then I thought using a credit card is so cool. Well, in China, credit card is like thing of the past. Yeah. They all use mobile pay. Even like, apparently I've never been to China, but even street beggars take money <laughs> using mobile, <laughs> <laughs> you know, mobile, mobile wallets. And, and on that day, Alibaba alone, I think last year they grossed 150 billion billion US dollars. <laughs> it's, and it's things like that, isn't it? It's the scale, <laughs> the markets, you know. The... Unbelievable, wow. unbelievable scale. And so so going back to information gathering is knowing those days, days yeah. and for logistical purposes as well as sales opportunities. Because, you know, if a brand, British brand selling in, uh, in China, and they missed that opportunity, it'll be like crime. It, you know, it'll be it'll be horrible, horrible missing that opportunity. Yeah. Of, of course, the it is the eleventh of November, but the whole experience takes about a week because they start advertising beforehand, and and of course, and and the Chinese, um, you know, the, the customers who are affluent are very choosy, mm. and 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 they love they love. British brands. So yeah. there's there's a big opportunity. Okay, is it very straightforward to sell in China? No, it's not. You know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's it's, a, it's it's like selling, you know, taking your business from London to Manchester or it's not like that. But the rewards are so so high. So information gathering enables finding all these details, holidays, uh, language and customs and and religions. So important because. In some countries, there could be multiple religions or religions that are different than the domestic country, your own country. And, and what are the you know, implications? And so, so all this information is so, so critical. And, and the next step is navigating the market. This is finding your way in the market and, and setting up and setting up uh, wherever possible, depending on the whether it's a product service, product or service business, you know, finding channels. What are the online marketplaces? I mean, when we think of marketplace, we think of Amazon. And that's fine, you know, we think of eBay. Mm. But there are, if not, it's not an exaggeration, thousands of marketplaces, online marketplaces. And some of them are very country specific. Some of them are very um, product specific. So if you're selling luxury products in China, okay, Alibaba could be the first, uh, but there are others who actually focus on 
selling luxury products. In Japan, you know, if you want to sell to Japanese customer, Rakuten, something one called is Rakuten is so, so popular. Mm. And in Japan, anything that has to be sold to Japanese consumer, almost without exception, has to be localized into local language because nobody buys anything. Okay, if it is something like um, a very high ticket value item like Rolex, you know, because everyone knows Rolex, everyone. So, you know, or if they're buying a very expensive uh, brand, then mm. they may not care, but otherwise... They're buying the brand, aren't they? They're yeah, not buying yeah, the yeah. localization yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. But most most other, well, 99% of other products has to be localized. And um, if you have any time left, I'll, uh, I can share any good, something interesting about Japanese market. So, okay. uh, <laughs> so this is about navigating the market. G, the next one is G. G stands for go operational because gathering all this data is important, of course, but going operational is the, is the next stage that needs to be done in a timely manner, not rushing, but in a timely manner. If, if, if it is not done in timely manner, a competitor may walk in and, and, you know, they, they may, company may lose the momentum. So going operational, are we go opening a shop there? Are we going through a distributor? Are we going to have a representative? Are we going through an online marketplace? So making a decision and making that happen. And depending on the size of the operation, you may have to hire people. And if the hiring is done, what is there in the previous step stage? Of course, you would have already found the legislation you know, the you know hiring stuff, what are the working legislation so that there's no surprises, there's no barriers. Because in the UK, the working regulations are not same as in, a, in, a, in, a, in another country. There are so many colorful aspects that companies has to pay attention to. Uh, but all these sounds may sound complicated, but there are so many solutions available. Mm-hmm. You know, if you said large corporation, they may start their own operation. If there's a small, small company that wants to employ two people, there are solution providers that does all the payroll, all the national insurance contributions, all the tax elements. So you don't have to open a, a branch thinking that I can't, I can't deal with all this. There are companies who does these services. So this is going operational. And the last step is O, O for managing operations and, and, you know, looking into mitigating circumstances. Because once you're going operational, the the next stages are very important that needs to be closely monitored. You know, is it working? What is happening? Are we, you know, is, is the sales of whether it's a product or service going as planned? So checking all this stuff, closely monitoring, it's almost like setting up a new company without having to go through any product or service creation stages because the business have already a, a good product or service mm. in their in their home market. So lingo five steps that that kind of gives a, a framework to any business that can actually enable them to 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 take their to take to expand it into new export market without having any major surprises along the way.
brilliant. I mean, I love that lingo. I love that learning, um, you know, information, navigating your way into the market, going operational and then operational management. That's a great way to think about it. And I can <laughs> see how that, you know, that step-by-step guide could get, you know, businesses, whether they're service providers or product providers into the market. I suppose one of those things, the key elements there so that people don't make expensive mistakes are that kind of learning and information, those first two stages, because that's where yeah, people yeah. can explore multiple markets and then select the one right for them. Yes, yes. But, you know, again, you know, smaller businesses haven't got huge budgets. You know, are there free tools and resources out there? Where do people go? I mean, obviously, there's Google, isn't there? Just putting things yes. into there. But where else can people go to gather some of that information and seek some of that learning? Google is a is a great place to start with. Mm. There's a tool called Google Trends. If you type in your website and your product, it tells you the trend in that marketplace. So, so that's a great tool. And the search volumes, the search volumes. So if, if I have a customer who wants to sell hangers to, to Germany, and they can actually go to Google, create a keyword account, and then actually they search for you know, hangers for I didn't know there was like almost 25 different hangers. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wouldn't know that <laughs> Learn something you, new every day. You know, you know, so so is it the hanger? So what is the German consumers prefer? Now, plastic is a big big no-go for, yeah. for British consumers. What is the what is the you know take in, 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 in Germany? Do they prefer wood? Do they prefer uh, you know metal? Do they prefer plastic? And, and what is the one that is most famous? Is it for trousers, skirts, blouses, coats, and ties? And so they, they need to do those research before understanding the, the, the requirement. So by looking at these volumes, they can see, okay, the biggest demand for hangers are for skirts and, and, and it's, it's a metal uh, Metal hanger, not not the plastic one, not the wooden one, because wooden one is very thick and takes more space in the wardrobes, etc. But obviously, there's little couple of there's couple of um, uh, tricks there. Doing a research with English terms in Amazon doesn't play doesn't uh, produce the right results. So it is important that the the localized search keyword needs to be used if somebody's doing yeah. a research in Google or Amazon. I, I mentioned Amazon because obviously Amazon is the, for products is the one of, well, it's the biggest uh, database available uh, for product, product-based product uh, And it is a route to mar- export markets, isn't it? Ab- absolutely, it's, it's an online marketplace. It's a simple route to export markets. And, yeah. you know, and, and doing that research for, with the suitable uh, keyword for that product, that will give the right results. So, and of course, um, they can, anyone is interested, my book is available. I mean, that's, that's the unashamed plug in there. <laughs> Go get the plug in. <laughs> you know, so the book is available in Amazon in the ebook version for 99 pence. And it'll give a lot of um, tools and as well as a, a, a form that I developed that they can use as a, as a kind of checklist that they can use to see if the product or service is a demand in that country. 
do you see that there's so there used to be grants and you know available to businesses looking to expand uh, overseas is are those grants still available where, where if and if so where can people go to find out more about those excellent excellent question because um because when companies want to do something they they get excited and focus on on actually getting the job done uh, and they may not look around for for support and advice actually there are i mean the the grants and uh, what's available changes on almost monthly yeah. basis it's hard to keep up with isn't hard it? To keep, yeah. but generally i mean the latest grant that is available again this may not last for for a while but the there's a match funding 50% match funding by international trade that was the last time uh, i heard so any company there's there's a certain criteria that they need to meet and then if they meet the criteria business can get a 50% match funding from from the government from the department of international trade now the the money they can use for localization marketing market research and it is it's really good yeah. there's always something available uh, for for a company um, in my experience i don't think any business didn't do expansion internationally because lack of support support yeah. is there there's always support in one shape or form brilliant and i suppose as we kind of you know start to draw our conversation to an end we should talk about culture and etiquette and i suppose i'd, I'd you know ask you you know what are the top three cultural misunderstandings that you've seen and what are the three to avoid maybe <laughs> well <laughs> excuse me well there are i think the, when it comes to culture it is it gets really interesting and it gets really confusing at the same time i think i think the biggest i mean it's impossible to know every different culture every different aspect and what is right what is wrong in my opinion the biggest advantage for a business executive to have is the mindset having an open mindset realizing that there are cultures and languages that are different in every country yeah and and that's fine because um in 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 business culture in the uk you know exchanging business cards okay it's, it's very common and if i give you my business cards you look at it and you just put it in your back pocket you know yeah. that's that's fine that's fine too you know but in some cultures that could be taken as a as a kind of insult yeah you know receiving a business card in two hands and then you know and then reading it processing it and then holding it in your hand is a sign of respect for the other person you know so so for instance something something simple now you may know this or you may not know this but when somebody a business executive have an open mind they can observe yeah observe the environment and see see how it is what is happening in that environment this is so important and i've i've heard people talking you know they go to a bar in a country they say this this bar people are so rude they just say what do you want you know whereas because they are expecting they are away from from their own yeah. country and they are expecting the same experience that they have in their own country in another country now that expectation sometimes may work 
but often doesn't. And and having an open mind that, well, actually, this person is asking me, what do you want? What is that to be offended with? Yeah. They're saying, what do you want? Now, I may have a different uh, conversation or experience in somewhere else, but because, well, that's, that's, that's the culture. Another thing is in meetings, there was something that when I heard about this, I was very interesting. Silence. Mm. I was going to ask you about this because silence <laughs> can be interpreted in so many different ways, can't it? So many different ways. And, um, you know, a silence in a meeting can be interpreted, cannot be a good thing, good sign in, in a sort of, uh, you know, normal, when I say normal, in, in like our own environment. Yeah, UK meeting. So, yeah. so I've, I've, I walk into a meeting and everyone stops and, or, I say something and, you know, then there's a silence. There's nobody replies and that's not a good thing. I mean, I, that's how I would interp interpret yeah. that. And um, whereas in Eastern culture, silence is, is saying that I, I heard you. Now I'm processing what I heard. And now I'm, you know, I'm not just waiting for you to stop so I can start speaking. I'm... I'm listening to you, I've listened to you, I heard you. And you know, that's here comes my my reply. So silence can be, you know, so so respectful. Different. It can be respectful yeah, rather it's a than sign disrespectful. Of, sign, yeah. Yes, yeah, sign of respect. But which is right, which is wrong. I, I don't think when it comes to culture, there's no right or wrong. Yeah. You know, in, in Latin culture, quick, you know, often interruptions. You know, if they kept interrupting you, that doesn't mean they're disrespecting you. That means they're engaged in the conversation. You know, whereas if I was interrupting you or if you were interrupting me all the time, I would say, you know, it's Warren maybe not interested in... <laughs> he just wants to get on with it. Get it done. <laughs> Let's get this podcast done. <laughs> yeah, it's true though, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it is like ob observations, observing. I think the mindset is the most important part. And from my own experiences, it is about having an open mindset. It is being emotionally intelligent to what's happening around you um, and, and reacting accordingly and not being the big Westerner that appears in a foreign land and expects everything to be done their way and on a plate. I mean, you know, that's probably the biggest mistake most Westerners make when they go abroad to do business, isn't it? Is they just expect everything to be the same. Yeah, and and it doesn't work. I mean, yeah. you know, we heard so many uh, so horror stories. Like, you know, uh, in certain cultures, you go into a meeting, you slave your, you know, put your sleeves up, put up your jacket. Okay, guys, come on, let's do business. Now, if you were to do this in a, in a Japanese meeting environment, you wouldn't, you shouldn't be surprised if they leave the meeting. Mm. You know, taking off your jacket and rolling up your sleeves. Is, is, you know, could come across aggressive. <laughs> we sold one of our clients' businesses for them to a Japanese big corporate. And it was the most interesting um, and times challenging because of the cultural differences, yeah, yeah, yeah. transactions to do. Because, yeah, um, just, yeah, it was completely different to doing any other transaction I've ever done. And, you know, it was, and even the hierarchy of having people in a meeting yeah, and who yeah, you address? Yeah, 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 yeah. So those done kind of things, isn't it? Yes, and it's so critical. Did you? How did you overcome that? I mean, you know, this hierarchy is so important. 
Yeah, I think we did our research. I suppose we came back <laughs> to learning, you know. Well, 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 we did our research and we learned that what was the process we were going to need to follow and how should we address. And, you know, it's particularly that kind of etiquette because in a UK kind of meeting or a Western meeting, you would just turn to whoever you think is most relevant yeah, yeah, in yeah. the room. Yeah. But, you know, with Japan and China, you've got your address, the head individual and they do the referring yes around yes. the room and it's it's just trying to learn things like that but it's about do, for us it was just about doing the research and yeah, doing yeah. that learning but there are times when yeah it was it was just challenging because it's different isn't it you know it's, well, well i mean it sounds like you've done your homework and you achieved mm. you achieved quite 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 important you know what you achieved is really but great then, for yeah, your client but, but then i can you know other examples when we went to um china and, and tried to set, set up a business out there um and after some in, initial success or thinking we're getting initial success and traction because everybody seemed to be saying yes but you didn't then realize that they don't like to say no because that's disrespectful yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then you got to learn to interpret well what is what they're saying a yes or are they just being polite and you know that kind of tripped us up a bit so there's all these things to learn isn't yes there? yes yes i think Having an open mindset, and I think open mindset leads will lead us to to do the homework and yeah. observing, you know, what is going on. And um, like, you know, one of the observations I heard this from from one of my contacts is how they enter in because you know for us it may be difficult to understand the hierarchy when we haven't seen their business cards. If it's a meeting that, you know, five of them walks into a meeting in China. So who is, you know, Who's who? what are the <laughs> tips that we can get, understand the um, the hierarchy? Because if you address the wrong person, thinking that they are the head of the, uh, <laughs> the yeah. organization could be put backfire. So one of the tips that I, I, I discovered is how they enter the room. And then how they leave the room. So it's one of the biggest indications. Again, observing is so important. And observing the others. So yep. who weighs, you know, they will be waiting for someone, the main person to sit before they sit down. So who sits down first is more likely to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to give them more, tips and hints. More yeah, likely to be this most senior person because you know, nobody you know, in a hierarchical culture Nobody will sit down before the main person will sit. I mean, you know, same here, isn't it? You know, before yeah. you before your guests sit down, you will not sit down. Yeah. You let your guests sit and then you sit. But you know, so this one one indication. And and when there's a question, who asks the question first? Or if somebody's speaking, do they look at somebody from their own team yeah. for approval? You know, so so these observations actually can give you a lot of tips. And definitely will make the you know the meeting go so more productive. What you said about that mergers and acquisitions, the cultural misunderstandings apparently cause 50% of them going to a failure. Can you imagine? You know, that's an amazing so much money. Because a merger and an acquisition is challenging enough with, without yes. putting that on it as well, isn't and it? Cultural misunderstanding cause like such a big I mean, can you imagine like wasting the companies? Whether it's a public company or a private company, wasting money and resources and and motivation because you know once the motivation is is gone down, it's very hard to pick it up. 
Definitely. So it's been a wonderful conversation. Um, I suppose I would round up by saying if people want to learn more about you, Levan, and your businesses and, and the things that you're into and your book, where can they go? Where can they find <laughs> more details? I thought you you would never ask. <laughs> 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 well, my book is Good Business in Any Language. It's available on Amazon. And if, if anyone searches Good Business in Any Language, they'll find it. The ebook is available for uh, 99 pence. The hard, hard uh, paper paperback is for nine pounds or something thereabouts. And and my company, ttcvtranslate.com, is there to give um, advice, support uh, for localization, translation, or just having a chat because we love talking about you know international global growth and we love to talk to companies. Who are keen to learn and whether we do business or not we, we'd love to speak with them and i'm also on linkedin i'd love to connect with um, like-minded uh, entrepreneurs consultants that will be a pleasure to connect with them brilliant thank you thank you for being a wonderful guest on the evolve to succeed podcast Warren, that was a real pleasure i really enjoyed it your questions were very um, energizing and very sort of um, you know detailed so thank you very much for that thank you thank you for listening to the evolve to succeed podcast my hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable informed and inspired individual and business leader If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.